All right, if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, um, you're going to need one to follow along as we continue to study the Word together. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers will get you one that you can have for the service. And uh, if you are receiving one of these Bibles that they're handing out, and you do not have a Bible of your own, please do take this and keep it as your own. It's our gift to you. Uh, it was fun as we started the 9 o'clock class this morning. Um, the, the speaker on the video just referred to something. He was talking about a passage in First Chronicles and mentioned that it was uh, that, that that was the, put to pen around a thousand years before Christ and then he just paused for a second in passing and just referenced the fact that here we have in our hands documents that go back 3,000 years and we don't have to go to a museum to see it. We have it in our hands. God has given that as a gift to us so what a great thing it is to have his word personally. Well, last Sunday we ended our look at Matthew 5, and we turned a corner into chapter 6. Um, but as we left chapter 5, we were faced with one of Jesus' most intimidating statements. He said, you therefore must be perfect as your Father is perfect. Your Heavenly Father is perfect. And we said, yeah, right. <laughs> But we had to acknowledge the fact that Jesus obviously believes that we can do what he has commanded us to do. And we looked at the reality that with the spirit of Jesus living inside us, he actually can accomplish that process of perfecting us. With him, all things are what? possible. All things are possible. His words, not mine. So it is not beyond reason for us to pray that God makes us perfect like him by filling us with the spirit that he gave us when his son returned from earth to heaven. Are you praying like that? Is that the way you're praying when you talk to God? Are you praying that God will make you perfect? Are you praying that God will perfect his love in you? Are you praying that your love will be made complete? Or are our prayers aimed at targets that fall somewhere far below God's desire for us? Think about what you're asking God for in your prayers. We ask him for provision. We ask him to meet the needs of someone else. We ask him for guidance. We ask him for forgiveness. All good things. But how often do we ask him to not just make us better people, but that he makes us like Christ, like Jesus? Are we asking him to complete, to perfect his image in us? Shoot higher than you have been. Shoot higher. Look beyond the battles to the war and ask God for total victory in the war. Ask that he will make you into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Um, I sensed the tension last week of us having the desire to love like God loves, but finding it very challenging to do something like loving our enemies. Speaking with a few of you, I realized the personal struggle that takes place when we are truly faced with our enemies and are having a difficult time loving them. And then a story made the headlines in the news, and it was a story that broke right in Prior Lake where I live. It was a sad, frustrating story about a man who is filled with hate. He's an overt racist who has indoctrinated his children to the point where they too engage in hateful, racist behavior towards some of their teenage peers at school. And a new enemy entered my life. 
I don't know this man, but I knew he was my enemy based on the way that I reacted to his words and his actions. The thoughts that I had towards this man were not very loving. Some of you confess the thoughts that you have towards your enemies. And the words of Jesus became real and relevant. Does he really expect us to love our enemies? That's a hard thing to do. So let me return very briefly to something he said towards the end of Matthew chapter 5. I didn't spend much time at all drawing attention to these words last week. So I want to look at them one more time real briefly here. As soon as Jesus said, love your enemies, he followed those words quickly with the words, pray for those who persecute you. I think he's given us a very useful tool here, one that we can use to turn our hearts in the right direction. Our hearts need to be in tune with God's heart, a heart that clearly could love his enemies, does it all the time. The fact is that among many other things, God's mercy is perfect. He has a lot of perfect attributes. Mercy is one of them. God holds back his wrath to an incredible degree. He is a God who gives so many chances and offers so much mercy. He is a God who is slow to anger. He is a God who does not just write people off, as we can plainly see in the lives of people like the Apostle Paul. So how do I get to that point with this guy in Prior Lake? All I've wanted for him is pain. All I've wanted is for him to be punished for the hurt that he and his kids are dishing out. For many of you, I would imagine that you can relate to the desires of my human nature. You have those desires too. You'd pull the trigger given the opportunity to see your enemies pay for what they've done or are doing. Yet Jesus is calling us to a perfect love. A perfect love. So he says, pray for those who persecute you. In Luke 6, Jesus says, pray for those who abuse you. So let's do it. Let's do it. Let's follow what he says. Some time ago I read a phrase that stuck with me. I'm not sure who wrote it or said it. But it was a simple statement that got me closer to having God's perspective on the subject of forgiving and loving your enemies. He said, prayer is the forerunner of mercy. Prayer is the forerunner of mercy. I think Jesus understands that if we try to go straight to loving someone who hates us, We're really going to struggle. But if we pray faithfully for that person or those people, we'll find ourselves much further down the road to extending mercy to them, to loving them the way that God does. If you struggle with loving like this, get on your knees. That's what I need to do. Cry out to God to be filled with his spirit and to have him replace your capacity to love with his own Pray big prayers about having your love perfected and pray for your enemies, inviting God during those prayer times to fill you with his mercy, with the mercy that he has towards those he's created, no matter what they've done or who they are. Pray that God extends mercy towards the people you're having a hard time loving. Pray for God to restore and forgive them. Start there. Mercy will follow. Well, in this quest for perfection, we come face to face frequently 
with the biggest obstacle that stands between us and the work that God wants to do in us. That obstacle is our self. It's our self. As people created in the image of God, God is at the center of our lives. He gets the glory. He is everything. Our lives revolve around God. But as people created with a sinful nature, our self is the center of our lives. We are the most important ones. Our needs are the most critical needs. We're on a constant search for things to make us feel good, feel significant, and feel secure. And so this battle rages daily between our selfish, sinful nature and the characteristics of the image of God that shine through our lives and are being perfected in us. And I don't know about you, but I am fed up with this battle. I really want to just declare a winner right now and just be done with it. God wins. No more selfishness or self-centeredness. I am done being number one. It will always be God in that place from now through eternity. And oh, how I wish it was that simple. My sinful nature, um, a force that I will do battle with every moment this side of heaven, is a greedy, gluttonous wretch that does nothing but get me in trouble and make me feel very bad about myself. My sinful nature is the worst shepherd I could imagine for this spirit of mine. It drives my insatiable human appetites to places that stand in direct contrast to green pastures and still waters. It wears me out rather than restoring me. It abandons me when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It pushes me to create more enemies in my life. It leads me away from goodness and mercy. I hate my sinful nature. At least I should hate my sinful nature. So why do I give it so much power in my life? Why do I give it so much space to rule in my life? Why do I let it call the shots and choose the paths that I travel far too often? I know that my sinful nature needs to die. I know that myself needs to die. Even Jesus said it needs to die. He talked about our need to die with him in order to see fruit produced in our lives as we're raised with him. He said that if we want to follow him, we are to first deny ourselves. We have to deny ourselves. Our sinful nature has to be dealt with. We need to remove ourselves from the throne and invite God to take that place. We need more of him and less of us in order to truly experience the life, the abundant life that God designed for us. So why do we have such a hard time with this? Why are we still trying so hard so much of the time to enlist God to help our self-centered self accomplish its goals and dreams? Why are we so unwilling to die to self and give up the number one position in our lives when we can clearly see just how much better it would be if God was number one? Why is self-indulgence observed so much more frequently in our lives than self-denial or even self-control? Is there anyone here in this room who really just wants to see their self get more glory than it's getting right now? Anyone want to see more of themselves and less of God? I doubt it. Why would you be here if you didn't have at least some level of desire to see God increase in your life? 
We all know that Jesus came to give us abundant life, and that's the life that we want. But why are we having such a hard time getting ourselves and our selfish desires out of the way so that we can truly experience that abundant life? Can any of you relate to that struggle? Do you long to see more of God and less of you on the throne of your life? Then let's do something together from now through Easter, right? We know what the cross is all about. We know that we have been invited by Jesus to be crucified and raised from the dead with him. The cross is the place where ourselves go to die, where our sinful nature meets its end. The cross is the place where we receive the new, eternal, abundant life that God wants to give us in exchange for our old, selfish, self-centered lives. The process of moving from death to life begins at the cross. The process of being perfected in Christ begins at the cross. Sin is defeated at the cross. Death is defeated at the cross. And life begins at the cross. Starting today, we're going to go on a journey together. And that's why I encouraged you last week to be here every Sunday from now through Easter. Um, On this journey, we are going to do battle with several things that are clinging to life. Things that need to die. These are things that are keeping us from truly finding freedom from our sinful natures. And I can testify that as I've looked ahead in preparation, I am seeing the need in my life to address these things. And I believe this is going to mean something to all of us. These are things that still occupy space on the throne of our lives. These are things that need to go to make more room for Jesus Christ. So at this moment, I'm declaring this open season on ourselves. When we reach Good Friday and are faced with the reality of the cross again, as we remember, my prayer is that the cross will have taken on a new depth of meaning for us. It's my prayer that we will collectively rush the cross with an unstoppable desire to put to death the parts of ourselves that need to get off the throne. It's my prayer that we'll approach the cross with a renewed sense of urgency and anticipation to get on with living our resurrected lives, the lives that that Jesus died to give us. We have been called by Christ to deny ourselves. So let's spend the next 10 Sundays identifying what in ourselves that we need to deny in order to follow Jesus more closely than we've ever followed him before. Think about ways in which you can chart this journey. Um, I've got it laid out and I want to follow what happens in me between now and Good Friday. I plan to identify the things that God is pointing to in my life that, that I need to deny. Track this. Write these things down somewhere. Use your notes app on your phone. Mark them on a calendar. Create a journal for this journey. Do something. Make this tangible. Make this a turning point in your life. Prepare for the Easter weekend. Jesus said we are to take up our cross daily and follow him. Make this journey something that you're aware of daily and watch what God does in you. More details to come as we move forward in this. Each week we will take a step together. So our open season on ourselves begins with a turning point in the Sermon on the Mount. 
The words of Jesus in this sermon have been recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And today we move from Matthew 5 to Matthew 6. So turn there now and let's see what Jesus has to say to us. And all I want us to look at first is the very first verse of chapter 6 for now. Just chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to do that because... Verse 1 really sets up the first 18 verses of chapter 6. These 18 verses make up the series of messages that I'm preaching this Sunday and the next two Sundays. Um, We're going to talk about giving to the needy. We're going to talk about prayer. And we're going to talk about the practice of fasting. These three passages share a common theme. And that's what we're going to see unfold in this first verse. So let's look at Matthew 6 verse 1. Jesus says, beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Jesus opens this section of his message with the word beware. Just let that sink in. He said, beware. Jesus could have just instructed his followers here, but instead he warns them. He uses the word beware. He's issuing a warning. He's telling them to be on guard, to pay attention, to monitor their behavior and their motives. He's setting up yellow signs all along the road to keep them from doing something dangerous while they're traveling that road. The son of God, the only one in that crowd on the side of that mountain who could see what the future held was giving them a heads up. Pay attention to what you're doing, he said. Do you hear that? Listen well. He's speaking to us too, Chapel Hill. He's warning us to pay attention to what we're doing in life. We're not to just let life carry us along Until we can get off this train. There are things that we need to be watching for. And so Jesus says beware. In this case he's warning his followers about practicing their good deeds before other people. Is he telling them that it's wrong to practice their righteousness. Their attempts to live the way they were meant to live in the presence of others. No he's not. No, he's not. We're going to get to that in just a minute. What Jesus is addressing here is their motive behind doing the good things that they're doing. When Jesus addresses the people who are practicing their good works before others, he was warning those who were doing this in order to be noticed by others. And in this statement, the wording he uses includes the concept of theomai. Theomai. And theomai is the Greek form of the root word we get our English word theater from. That's where it comes from. He's talking about performers. He's talking about those who do good things to get noticed for what they're doing. He's not criticizing the fact that they're doing good things in public. So let me pause here and address the public versus private righteousness issue here. This is very important. There's a balance here that Jesus is affirming. But it's too easy for us to get caught up looking for for one answer, for one simple solution, for a well-defined box. 
We have a tendency to want things to be neat and easy, but Jesus was not making this neat and easy. He was, however, making this personal and profound. As usual, um, let's talk about the door that's on the stage here. I want to talk about this for a minute because it sets up a good way for us to look at what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Um, And for those of you who can't see, the sign behind the door kind of fits because the word on that sign is secrets. It says the best kept secrets and you can't see secrets. So there you go. I want to talk about Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 and Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, where we've just read, Jesus says, Beware of doing good things before men in order to be seen by them. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And all of a sudden we're faced with an apparent contradiction here. Now, I'll tell you, it, historically, a long time ago, what I would do when I saw contradictions in the scriptures where somebody pointed out, some critic pointed out that, well, these are contradictions, so throw out the Bible. Um, I would typically respond by just like turning the page. I'll go look at something else because maybe they're right. Maybe I shouldn't have the confidence that I have in God's word because, yeah, clearly here Jesus is saying Don't do your good deeds before other men. But he's also saying, let your light shine before other men. Do your good deeds before other men. So maybe there is something wrong with the Bible. Or maybe I just need to dig in a little more and figure out what it is Jesus is talking about here. Because these two statements go perfectly together. And I want to show you how. In Matthew 6, verse 1, Jesus is saying... Don't do it before men. Get behind closed doors. Do it in secret. Do your giving in secret. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But don't do it before men. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus is saying, get out there and let your light shine. Do your good deeds before men. So what's going on here? Jesus is dealing with the temptation that we face sometimes. And in Matthew 6, verse 1, Jesus says, if you are tempted to get out there and perform for others so that they can see you doing good works, he said, here's what you need to do. Go hide. Go get behind the door in secret and do what you're doing in secret. But in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says, if you're living out your faith in secret. Get out from behind the closed door and let your light shine before men. And I came across this great great quote uh, from a a commentator named A.B. Bruce. And for those of you who love commentators, you're going, Pastor, it's F.F. Bruce. No, it's not that Bruce. It's another Bruce. It's A.B. Bruce. And, And what he said was this. He said, when you're tempted to show It's time to hide. But when you're tempted to hide, it's time to show. And that ought to be something that we hold on to in our lives. 
When we are tempted to keep our faith private, and this is such a great thing that Christians do. We get here behind the door and we go, Jesus said I am to to do my good deeds in secret. So I'm just doing them here. I'm going to keep my faith to myself and do it in secret. And all those of you who have a public faith, shame on you because Jesus said you're to have a secret faith. We get all proud of ourselves for being the secret ones when in reality our light is hid, hid under a bushel and nobody can see it. Jesus says, when you are tempted to show, go hide. But when you're tempted to hide, it's time to show. And I love that balance. I love what Jesus is working through here. Now, within all of us is a hardwired need for significance. You've heard me talk before about significance and security, about two of the most basic human needs. Now, let's look realistically at this idea of giving to the needy. This is a good deeds issue here. In our quest for significance, we know that few things can make us look so good so fast as what we do in the way of charity. If people see us doing good things for the less fortunate, we know what they're going to think of us. Our status will skyrocket. Our personal stock will take off. People will talk about us, compare others to us, compliment us, use us as examples when they talk about things like compassion and generosity. And we want to be known as compassionate and generous people, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with that desire. God actually created us to be compassionate and generous people. The issue here, of course, is who we want to be noticed by. And let's admit it, we want to be noticed by the people around us. The people who see us doing these compassionate and generous deeds will notice, and we'll notice them noticing us. Their expressions and reactions to what we do will be visible to us. Their words of praise and adoration will be audible to us. We will see, hear, and feel the results of our greatness. And that feedback will build our sense of self-worth and significance. The desire for praise is a strong temptation for us. We want the acclaim. We want the significance. We want the admiration. But we run into a lot of trouble when we want it now. God promises that we will be rewarded for the things that we do. We're about to see that again in our passage today. The struggle we seem to have is the struggle of waiting for that reward. When people see us do good things, they reward us soon, if not immediately. God promises us his reward in heaven. Our self wants that reward right now. Can we get the instant reward? Yeah, of course we can. Even the Bible acknowledges that we can receive our reward in full here on earth if that's what we choose to do. Or, God says... We can choose to do our good deeds for God alone and receive his reward later when we see him. This, I believe, is a faith issue. Do we truly believe that God has a greater reward in mind for us than the one that we can receive here during this earthly life? 
Or do we not trust him to deliver on the rewards he has promised us in his word? Would we rather get the reward that people in this world have to offer right now and take the glory for ourselves instead of letting God have the glory for what we do and choose to receive his reward later? One of the strongest temptations we face in our sinful nature is the temptation of instant gratification. We want the reward right now. So Jesus warns us to be aware of when we're being tempted to grab the glory and the reward for our good deeds. He says in verse 1 that if we choose to do these things for the sake of being noticed by people, we will miss out on the reward our Father has for us. We need to take that warning very seriously. Let's look now at the first of three issues that Jesus tackles, having warned us about our temptation to show off how good we are for the sake of receiving praise from other people. This is what he says in verses 2 to 4 in chapter 6. Matthew 6, verses 2 to 4. Jesus says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Watch for that word secret over the next few weeks. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Will reward you. Thus... Thus, in reference to Jesus' words about doing good things for the sake of receiving praise from others, here's an example, he says, of what I'm talking about. Now, what's the next word after thus? Say it out loud. When. When you give to the needy. Not if. When. Jesus was speaking from a place of expectation here, wasn't he? He spoke to the people gathered on the side of the mountain within the context of them habitually giving to the needy. He was talking about almsgiving and was speaking to those who were already giving alms to the poor. This was not a suggestion to help the poor. This was instruction on how to help the poor. We're going to talk on these three Sundays about three things that were commonly practiced in the culture in which Jesus lived. We're going to talk about almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. These three things are also commonly practiced in all the major religions of the world. Sadly, some of them are practices that have only declined in Christianity. Especially the practice of fasting. And we'll get to that one in two weeks. Um, It's going to be a fun conversation. What Jesus has to say about the practice of giving to the needy is that if we are being tempted to parade our generosity before men for the sake of receiving their praise, we may need to change the way we're carrying out our almsgiving. Namely, if we're doing this to draw the praise of men, it's time to get behind closed doors to do the giving. 
Now, there is no actual record of the Pharisees hiring trumpet players to announce their acts of charity. But Jesus' point here is crystal clear. We are not to be drawing attention to ourselves when, not if, when we help the poor. Does that mean no one can ever know that we gave to the poor? No. Does this mean that we can only carry out acts of charity personally and in secret? No. There is something very special about serving together with your brothers and sisters out of a sincere heart. It's one of the most significant things that we can be doing together as a church. And I'm really excited about the opportunities that we have, like the one coming up with Feed My Starving Children. Listen, do you find yourself being tempted to give to be noticed? Do you find yourself being tempted to do something nice to show people how nice you are? Are you doing good things to get the attention and praise of others? If so, it is time for you to go do something in secret. It's time for you to get your focus back onto the reward that only God can give you, not the one that you can get from other people. So what might that look like for you? Well, maybe you just need to start giving to the needy. That would be a good place to start. Maybe that's something you have not been doing in spite of all the words in the Bible that make it clear that God expects us to be giving to the needy. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to give in secret. Maybe you need to just decide on a dollar amount. Five dollars, ten dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars. Choose a worthwhile cause and give to that cause without anybody knowing what you've done. Maybe our own caring fund is that opportunity for you. You can always just drop an envelope in the plate or you can drop it in the slot by the office without anyone knowing that it's from you. Maybe you should just mail your donation in. Maybe that means you're not going to get a tax break for your donation. But if that's what it takes to get your heart in the right place, isn't it worth it? Figure out what this means for you. How do you give without anyone but God knowing that you're giving? Solve this. If you're being tempted to show, it's time for you to hide. Figure it out. Give in secret and your Father in heaven will reward you for what he sees in secret. There's the reward principle again. Brothers and sisters, we are going to be rewarded for the things that we do. That's part of our heaven experience. God is going to reward us based on what we've done. If we do, if we do these things with a right heart, a heart that wants to see God get the glory, not us. One way or another, we will be rewarded. But which one are we aiming for? The reward we get from other people or the one that we get from God? Seems like an easy decision to make. This is the first of many things that we're taking aim at in our quest to deny ourselves. Our desire to receive the praise of other people has to go. God gets the glory for what we do and we do what we do for him only. We have the ability to overcome the temptation to seek instant praise. 
instant gratification. Denying ourselves means in this context that we deny ourselves the kind of praise that we can get right away in exchange for the praise we will receive from our Father in heaven. He promises to reward us and he always, always fulfills his promises. Look honestly into your heart. Do you seek the praise of men? Is that ever the motivation behind the good deeds that you do? Or are you doing what you're doing for the right reason? To make God look good to this world instead of you. He already sees the significance in you. Is that enough for you? It should be enough for us. Or are we getting caught up in doubting that God's perspective is really enough? If you are, then at least part of you is still on the throne. On this journey that we're making together from here to Easter and beyond, let's do what needs to be done to deny ourselves, to die to our selfish right, to remain on the throne of our lives and invite God to have full occupation of his rightful place. Start with this. Trade in the praise of men and your own glory for the praise of God and his glory. And that's it. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now and the worship team as well as we get ready to close our service together. Just a reminder that if if you need somebody to pray with you today, if you've come in bearing a burden, if you've just wrestled with with this and gone, you know what, I, I need someone to just pray that I will be able to do this, that I'll be able to overcome. We have people here every Sunday following the service that are more than willing to pray for you. They're in a room just outside the back here, and they'll be there waiting for you this morning if you'd like someone to pray with you. Let's pray together now, and then we'll go back to worship. Father, you are so gracious towards us and so loving and so compassionate. You are so generous with your mercy. And we praise you for that. Father, we need to acknowledge the fact that we were created in your image for your glory, for your purposes. And that you have a reward waiting for us if we will just live out the life that you've created us to live. Father, we're on a journey now. We are going to begin this journey step by step towards Easter weekend, towards the cross and the empty tomb. And I just ask that you would come in and just fill us during this time, that you would guide us through each step, that you would lead us to a point where we see the cross like we've never seen it before. I pray that you would guide us to a point where finally for some of us we're getting ourselves off the throne and allowing you to take the place of Lord and King in our lives. I pray that you would lead us to the place where we truly deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you. Teach us what we need to deny. Teach us how to deny it. 
Teach us how to die to ourselves so that you can live more fully in and through us. Father, for those of us who have given in to the temptation to do good deeds before others so that we'll get their attention and be praised by them, will you please forgive us? It's far too easy to do. Japalil, if you need to ask God for his forgiveness right now for having put the praise of others before God's glory, will you just go to him with it right now? Just ask him to forgive you. Forgiving into the temptation to seek praise from others, to do good things, to be noticed by others. Just ask him for his forgiveness right now. And as soon as you confessed that and asked for his forgiveness, he forgave it. It's done. It's gone. Start over right now. Do what you do for God's glory only. Not for the praise of others. Get yourself off the throne and give him his place. Father, I want to thank you for these words that sometimes make us uncomfortable. These words about rewards. Thank you for the promise that you will reward us if we are acting with the right heart. If we're acting for your glory. That you will reward us. Lord, as we look at this issue of giving to the needy, and we have the needy all around us. We have opportunities all around us. May we meet you there. As we give with a right heart. As we look to the Feed My Starving Children event, God, give us the right heart to approach this with. To where we're doing it for your glory. Knowing that you're the one who's going to get that food into the right mouths. You're the one who's going to bring the message of salvation to these places where the food goes. This is all about you. This is about you looking good. This is about you providing for people who are questioning whether or not you're there and you care about them. Father, as we give to the caring fund... Help us to understand how essential this is in the life of a church. And that you're the one who gets the glory. And Father, it's been such a privilege to see the connections made between what this church gives and who receives it. And to see them praise you for your provision. We just get to play a small part in that of transferring what you already own to somebody else. God, teach us to give with a right heart for your glory and your glory only, not ours. Get us out of the way of what you want to do in us over the coming 10 weeks. We need you. We're desperate to see your spirit move here so much potential that you can of what you can do here 
in us and through us. Do that work. Come, Holy Spirit, and do that changing in us. Perfect us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in his name, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.